0: what we know is that we need to have full access to our brain to learn these experiences that our youth are having changes the structure of the brain and depending on the triggers and what i'm going through i don't always have access to my prefrontal cortex which is my ability to think and reason and wonder and learn and imagine
1: once you're able to maintain a calm body Your brain is online for learning. So you are able to take in more content. You're more creative. You're more social. You're able to build relationships with your classmates and with your teacher. And with safety and connection, kids do better academically, socially, emotionally. And what that means for Arizona schools is better outcomes.
2: (laughs) We're at a really important juncture where everyone is experiencing trauma. Our teachers, our administrators, the staff, the students, the families, communities, across the board. And when everyone's experiencing trauma, it does create an opportunity to have a different conversation. And that's what we're hoping this SPARK report, creating trauma-sensitive schools, building resilience to lessen the effects of adverse childhood experiences will do.
3: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Vitalist Spark Podcast. I'm your host, John Ford. And today we're introducing you to a report and a concept that could make all the difference when it comes to improving educational outcomes in Arizona. Now, right now you're saying, hold on, Vitalist is a health foundation, not an education foundation. Folks, the work of trauma-sensitive schools sits firmly at the intersection of both education and health. It's nearly impossible to separate the two. They are interwoven when it comes to a young child's capacity to show up ready to learn. They are intertwined when it comes to strong educational outcomes that are the basis of economic opportunity, and they are inseparable as key factors for a long and healthy life. As you'll hear our guests remark repeatedly, everything starts with a true relational connection for our kiddos, and that's what trauma-sensitive schools are all about. This episode is packed with paradigm shifting insights, so let's get right to it. It's time to talk about applying neurobiological insights to the very present and daunting tasks of improving health and educational outcomes in Arizona, as of march 8 2021 today we have three amazing guests to talk to you about a critically important report and not just the report itself but the research the techniques and the movement behind trauma-sensitive schools we are so so grateful to have rebecca Limecooler from Cartwright School District. She's the Director of Social Emotional Learning there. Rebecca, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. We also have Laura Wiggins. She is the Regional Director of Clinical Services at the Meta Group. Laura, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Thanks for being here. And last but not least, my colleague and my partner in crime, Melanie Mitra. She is the Director of Strategic Community Partnerships at Vitalist. Melanie, how's it going?
2: Hey, John. So great to be with you for this conversation today.
3: Let's talk about trauma-sensitive overall. And probably start at the very beginning. like Why is Vitalist doing this work? Why partner with school districts? Why are we talking about trauma at all?
2: It's a really good question, John. Experiences throughout childhood have lasting effects on a child's developing brain, on their mental health, on their cardiovascular system, their immune system, their long-term behaviors. So you can see right there, you know, we're already talking about something that's really important for us to think about. And most kiddos are in school, so it's a natural connection for us to be thinking about it from that perspective. So, unfortunately, when these experiences are coupled with trauma, there's long-term negative effects. These traumatic experiences that happen before the age of 18 are called adverse childhood experiences. There's been many studies, one really key study that's come out around these adverse childhood experiences, also called ACEs. That's how you'll hear us talk about it during the conversation today is ACEs. This long-term study was between the US Centers for Disease Prevention and Control and Kaiser Permanente. And they found that ACEs can be grouped into three primary categories, abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. Those sounds like things that a lot of us experience. So when we're really looking at this relationship between trauma and health, Vitalist, with over 20 partners, have come together around this conversation to raise the imperative that Arizona's youth and teachers and school administrators and staff must have access to safe and supportive environments in their schools.
3: Rebecca? Rebecca? Let's talk for a second about this, what it really looks like when a child experiences ACEs. When a child comes to school that morning, are they ready to learn?
0: It's not likely that they're ready to learn, depending on the adverse experiences that have occurred in their lifetime or are still occurring in their lifetime. So what we know is that we need to have full access to our brain to learn. We understand now from the ACE study that Physiologically, these experiences that our youth are having changes the structure of the brain. And depending on the triggers and what I'm going through, I don't always have access to my prefrontal cortex, which is my ability to think and reason and wonder and learn and imagine I may be stuck somewhere else in my brain stem and i may be experiencing challenges with learning because i want to dissociate or i am easily frustrated or i am not able to concentrate so our children are not necessarily coming to us in a state of mind ready to learn based on what's happening or what has happened in their life experience
3: laura rebecca just really pointed to the crux of the problem How is a child supposed to be ready to learn when actually that part of the brain of the child is completely offline? And then how does a teacher handle that? How does an administration handle that? Because the way we've been handling it, we know has not been effective.
1: That's a great point. So kiddos show up with all these things on their plate. They're carrying so much weight on their shoulders. And as Rebecca just shared, they may not be ready to sit down in a desk and they may not be available for the academic content that you are ready to deliver. And as a teacher, it takes training and awareness and space, self care to be available to teach a kiddo who is coming to your classroom like that, to help them in these moments where they may not be available for learning. They may come to class crying or maybe angry and they could be throwing things or not being kind to their peers. And so It's really important for teachers to be able to address those early and be that support for the kiddos in their classrooms. And it's just as important for administrators who are on these campuses to be supporting teachers.
3: How far along are we in this journey towards being more trauma-sensitive as educators? It seems as though once you hear it, or once you think about it, or once you see it, you can't unsee it. And yet, there's a whole lot of changes that need to happen. Talk about where we are.
0: Obviously, we're all in different stages of this journey. But I love what you said about once we are exposed to and understand certain aspects of the ACE study... I think it changes fundamentally who we are for most of us. Because for the first time, we've learned that physiological changes are happening in our brain that are likely presenting themselves in behaviors that before now, we always tied to character or parenting or values. And It's really important for us as a group of educators to understand when we talk about trauma-informed practices, we're talking about understanding that physiological change on the body and brain of our youth and how it changes how we now look at them and their behavior, their healing, and how we can impact their life. So it's vital to me that everybody understands this about ACEs. So we are a long way from that, I think, collectively. And some of that, in my opinion, might have to do with the word trauma in and of itself, because the word can be very scary. That sounds like trauma is what really big, bad things that happen, at least for me. When I thought about trauma, that was murder and rape and fire. It was something really bad accident or something that was really an unfortunate event, or that something that only happened to bad people or families. But in fact we understand very differently from the ACE study that we're talking about adverse experiences that we all have. So this isn't about judging who we are or judging our lifestyle. This is about understanding that depending on how many of those adverse experiences, especially as our youth have in their life, it physiologically changes how our brain is structuring and who we are in the moment. And we need to all understand the importance of that together collectively so we stop judging and shaming our youth and we can start implementing um, universal practices that address how we can help to now regulate our students, how we can then, after we learn how to regulate our students, we can start to learn how to heal and start to reorganize their brains and get them back to that engagement. We have a long way to go, but we have collectively all experience an adverse experience lately, which is COVID. And I think it has led many of us to this conversation where we want to understand, we want to have practices in place that will impact our youth.
3: Laura, you've seen this at a number of levels. You've literally gone in and consulted with individual schools and teachers. You're also looking at it from a broader systems and policy level. Talk about what it's going to take to make this journey that Rebecca has shared with us. We still have a long way to go.
1: A key thing is it has to be the school district's mission, a school's mission. We all have to understand the science that Rebecca just shared. We all have to know about our brains and our bodies, and it's not just the kids. The kids need to know, but the adults working with kids also have to have these really important skills. And so as a district, it takes a commitment, and with that commitment comes funding and resources and support. Our teachers are working so, so hard. And even now with COVID, they're working extra hard. And so it is just vital from an implementation systems point of view that there is funding to provide the training that we need to give to teachers to give to administrators, to give to school social workers and counselors. Many of our schools in Arizona do not have school social workers on site. They don't have school counselors. And there are times as a classroom teacher where you need that additional support. You need that expertise that you can rely on. And so from an implementation standpoint, I would say a commitment and funding.
3: Melanie, that kind of brings us to the Vitalist Report and the collaboration that we've had as an organization with so many folks across the state. Talk about how this report that we're about to release is going to help people get into the space that Laura and Rebecca and their peers are already in and how the report can be used to help raise awareness and get that commitment and funding to a higher level.
2: That's a great point. We really look at the crossroad of the damaging effects of COVID combined with historic divestment that we've seen in Arizona schools, we're at a really important juncture where everyone is experiencing trauma. Our teachers, our administrators, the staff, the students, the families, communities across the board. And when everyone's experiencing trauma, it does create an opportunity to have a different conversation. And that's what we're hoping this SPARK report creating trauma-sensitive schools, building resilience to lessen the effects of adverse childhood experiences will do. This report is a culmination of over 20 partners coming together, surveying over a hundred schools and school districts throughout the state that provided input into the data for this report, which really demonstrates schools want and need resources right now to support their trauma-sensitive journeys. I wanna make sure we talk a little bit about the different terminology we might hear in conversations, whether that's today or whether that's conversations and reading you might do on your own. So you'll certainly hear different terms such as trauma aware, trauma sensitive, trauma responsive, trauma informed. We go into that whole continuum and talk about those in depth and the report for the purposes of the report. And we'll try to stick to it in conversation today as well. We're gonna use trauma-sensitive and trauma-sensitive schools as our overarching terminology. We adopted that to make sure we were in alignment with other state partners. So just so folks know when they see that, that's the reason why we use the term trauma-sensitive. And really what that means is that there's safety, there's trustworthiness and transparency in what's going on in the schools. There's peer support. So there's other kiddos there supporting each other. There's other folks like Laura and her team at the Menta Group. They're supporting teachers and administrators. There's collaboration involved, not only within the school, but also with the community and families. Empowerment and voice and choice for the children to be able to engage in conversation. And the last one, really thinking about and being able to engage in cultural and historical and potentially gender issues as well in those conversations. Those are really key principles to understanding the trauma-sensitive practices conversation. Often you'll hear the phrasing, it's not about what's wrong with you, it's about what happened to you. And really shifting that dialogue and understanding is so important. And we really hope that this report lays the groundwork for folks who may be unfamiliar with the impacts of trauma on the brain, the neurobiological impacts on the brain and the body, not only short-term, but also long-term. You know, really see very long-term health impacts if we're not able to support not only the kiddos, but also our school administrators and teachers and staff in the same way. They were kiddos once too, who may or may not have had ACEs themselves. So it's really important that we're looking at this as a whole system of support so we really came down to four key recommendations. It's hard to believe. We've got key informant interviews. We've got all of the survey data, all of these amazing conversations that have happened over the last few months to get to the point of four key recommendations. The first being we really need some type of resilience coordinating council, And what this would do would be able to align the multiple efforts we're seeing in Arizona, which we really are not starting from ground zero, which is wonderful. We have incredible people like Rebecca and Laura and many other on the stakeholders group who are doing this work and are actively involved in building trauma sensitive schools. We need to bring those efforts together to be able to mobilize and move our state forward. So really act as that champion for our state. The second recommendation is to require baseline knowledge for all school staff. That's exactly what Laura was just talking about. And Rebecca has talked about, we all need to understand what's going on in our brains and our bodies and behaviors that may happen due to those adverse childhood experiences and the trauma that we're experiencing right now. The third recommendation is we have to enhance school employee wellness. And this is more than saying, we support you to go do self-care. This truly is investing in our school staff and through time, whether it's through different practices. And I'm sure Rebecca and some examples. We have several examples in the report as well. And then a fourth recommendation is we have to establish and maintain sustainable funding structures to be able to do this work and support our kiddos and our entire school system to be healthy and really thrive.
3: Laura, given the journey you've been on and what you've seen, What were some of the key things that came out of this report that either surprised you or were verification to you about the direction we need to be going?
1: In reading the report, there weren't any surprises. It was really exciting, though, to feel very validated and acknowledged in the journey that I've had with our organization in implementing trauma-sensitive practices within our programs and seeing that everyone else in Arizona was essentially saying the same thing, that we need to have funding and commitment, that kiddos need to have social emotional learning, that we need to have clinical supports for kids, that teachers need training on brains and bodies, that we need to teach kids to self-regulate. And we need a model of that as teachers in the classroom It was just really exciting. It was energizing and it just really validated what I knew to be true in my heart and the things that I've seen with our kiddos in our programs.
3: So real quickly, let's talk about that validation about what self-regulation can do, because that's a pretty highfalutin psychological term. Let's talk about what it actually achieves. Like when you have a D school, what happens to that school?
1: Self-regulation is essentially being aware that your body is experiencing maybe anxiety or stress or maybe overjoy or excitement. And you need to kind of get yourself back to a better state of calm or relaxation. And so there are strategies that we teach our kiddos to do in a moment. So they're able to recognize where they are. And apply a strategy. And sometimes that happens with a teacher. It's co regulating. Or we have kiddos that have now independently taken on these skills and they actually go home and teach it to their parents or they teach it to their siblings, which is really, really exciting. And what that does is once you're able to maintain a calm body, your brain is online for learning. So you are able to take in more content, you're more creative, you're more social, you're able to build relationships with your classmates and with your teacher. And with safety and connection, kids do better academically, socially, emotionally. And what that means for Arizona schools is better outcomes when it comes to high stakes testing and letter grades that are assigned to schools. And so just a simple self-regulation can really, really impact grades and academic performance.
3: Literally in the report, Rebecca, there are case studies that show that this isn't just a bunch of hooey. This is actually going to create Return on investment, it's going to create higher performance for schools. Talk about what you're most excited about in terms of what those case studies in the report say and what it could mean for Arizona schools going forward.
0: Thank you for the question. This is my favorite topic of all of the report because, truthfully, when we become trauma sensitive, it means that we've gone through some education with the adults in our building. And what that means is that they're starting to understand their own brains and bodies and their going through systems of their own self-regulation. It's really important that we help our teachers understand that we're human too. And our brains work the same as our kids. Our brains are on constant search to see if there's some danger for us. And as soon as it finds some, and it will all day long, there's things that trigger us and it affects and it impacts how we act and how we behave. What I'm excited about is when we are in a regulated body, We understand the connection in our brains. We are able to then be the teachers we want to be in the presence of our kids. We can engage with them with thinking and with wonder and with excitement. Having a building full of teachers that understand their brains and their bodies doesn't make them perfect because we're human, right? And we still have triggers and we still have deadlines and we still have accountability and we still want... Our kids to learn because we know the importance of that, but we have now this whole other side where we understand how to stay regulated. We understand our best intention. We understand our internal loci of control, and we're back to understanding above all what Laura said. That's so exciting to me is that we understand that safety and connection come first. That all learning is relational, and that we matter to these kids. And I know we haven't talked about this yet, but the beauty in this is is that. Each one of us that hears this report and each one of us that's in the presence of a child and each one of us has any impact over a child, we can make a difference. We can make the difference for this child that has experienced ACEs in their life. And that's available for every one of our teachers to understand that they have the ability to make the difference and start the healing for those kids. And to me, there's nothing more exciting because our teachers they're in the business because they love kids. We just didn't always do the best job of giving them all of the information they needed about the brain and body, but now we can, and it just changes everything. How we look at kids, how we treat kids, and now how we are together in this space collectively when we're in the presence of our children.
3: Melanie, everybody's familiar with, in Arizona, what has felt like an educational downward spiral. This report actually talks about the upward spiral that could be created if schools adopt a clear trauma-sensitive approach. In fact, there's a whole laundry list of benefits. Take us through some of the benefits that are in that report, especially the key ones that we want to share today.
2: There are definitely quite a few benefits. I think one of the ones that is incredibly exciting to me is seeing these ACEs numbers go down. I mean, and we've actually already seen this happening with investments from the Governor's Office of Youth, Faith, and Families, the work of the ACEs Consortium here in Arizona. We've seen the percent of Arizona kiddos that have two or more ACEs has already decreased. And if we continue to increase this work in our schools, we're going to continue to see these decreases. What that ends up meaning is now we've got kiddos that are engaged and ready to learn, which means we have potentially higher graduation rates, which right now, Arizona has really low graduation rates. We have the opportunity to increase our graduation rates. We have the opportunity to decrease the number of behavioral referrals that go to our school administrators. We also have the opportunity to increase teacher retention. And this is really, really critical in Arizona. In Arizona, nearly one out of every four teachers leaves each year. Couple that with nearly one in four experienced teachers are nearing or at retirement age. And then you add on the fact of a pandemic for the last year And we're seeing more teachers leave the profession mid-year this year than we have ever seen before. Mm -hmm. We actually started the Arizona school year, the 2020-2021 school year this year, with nearly 2,000 vacant teaching positions across the state. So this type of work is not only critical for our students, it's critical for our workforce critical for our economic viability as a community and the interest for new businesses and new companies wanting to come to Arizona. We've got great schools. We've got teachers that love teaching. They're engaged. They're doing great, performing great. We've got low referrals. We really have a lot of opportunities.
3: Laura, this report touches on almost a dozen benefits. Melanie gave us a few. Did she miss any that you think are really important?
1: She covered probably the top ones that I would also share, but I will say this. I wish that this report could somehow communicate or share the feeling of a kid coming to school smiling who didn't want to come to school. I wish that this report could communicate a parent meeting where maybe the parent was feeling distrustful of the school or thought things needed to look different, and they left smiling. I wish that the report could show more than teacher retention, but the smiles on teachers' faces when they're greeting their students or ending the day. Those are the feelings, the things that you will see and literally feel when you are on a trauma-sensitive school campus the data, the numbers, it's real. And it is so, so, so important, but you feel a difference in the culture and the community. And it is not just with kids. It is with kids and their families and community members and teachers and staff. It's
0: contagious. Thank you, Laura. Her and I work so well together and I just love her so much. And I wish... The same thing. I wish this report could communicate to all of our listeners what it feels like to watch our teachers, instead of dropping the students off at the lunch line and hurrying off as fast as they can to eat, they're going into the cafeteria with them and sitting down and having conversations. How we see students and teachers walking together now and just enjoying each other's company and riding the buses with the kids and on the last day of school nobody wants to leave. They're all crying and they're all hugging each other and nobody wants to leave. We don't have to worry about fights. We're not worried about tagging. We're not worried about something in the backpack because when it's a trauma-sensitive school, the connections are real. And when the connections are real, anything can happen. And that's my wish with Laura that this report communicates how we can be together when we understand all of this information from trauma-sensitive work.
3: Melanie, this report's just the beginning. Where do we go from here?
2: Hopefully the sky's the limit, John, where we have every single school and school district in Arizona is utilizing trauma-sensitive practices. Really what that's gonna look like for us is vitalist, hopefully, through a lot of partners and a lot of great stakeholders, being able to continue these conversations. We really do need the advocacy of all of our partners, you know, these incredible stories. I don't know if you got it, but I had chills as Lara and Rebecca were talking about. The feelings, and that really is so important. The data is there, the data is critical. We also need to change hearts and minds in this space to be able to make the investments and advocate for the investments in our schools. It goes beyond investments in academic outcomes and penalizing poor-performing schools. We've got data, and we have the feelings and have the knowledge of not only can we change the outcomes of a poor-performing school And be able to see higher graduation rates, better retention, lower dropout rates, better student engagement. I've seen it in my own household. My husband's a high school teacher. And as he's learned about trauma-sensitive practices and implemented them in the credit recovery classes he teaches, he's now got kiddos that come into class and give him elbow bumps and give him fist bumps. His retention rates have increased. And I always thought it was anecdotal until digging into this data and really understanding it. Arizona has an incredible opportunity with the partners we have and the knowledge and skills we have in this state to make a difference and to change the course for so many kiddos.
3: All right, one last question for all three of you. I'm going to start with Rebecca on this one. Rebecca, you've just walked into the elevator with an individual who is one of those well-meaning people who's got the opportunity to wield power and funding. And they think the way to help schools is to improve curriculum and get better teacher training. What are you going to say to them on that short elevator ride to change their mind?
0: I'm going to say, I understand. Curriculum is really important and teacher training is important because their craft is what builds our children. But we need to understand first what's happening inside the brains and bodies of our children. Because when we can understand that, we can help connect them to their best thinking. We now know something we didn't know before. We didn't know before the biology and the physiology of stress in our lives, like me trying to tell you this before we get to the end of this elevator, right? And what I need you to understand more than anything is that with this knowledge, we now have agency over who we want to be and who we want to become. And more than anything, we want to build better people. We want to be better beings together and We can do that with the science. So give me time to just give you a little bit about the science, because when you understand that you have agency over your own brain and body, we do, we have techniques, we have things we can do to help regulate ourselves. And in that space, in that regulation, there's a quote from Viktor Frankl. It's my very favorite quote. And he says that between stimulus and response, there's a space. And it's in that space that we learn through trauma-sensitive schools that between that trigger, if we learn what those are, we have a space in that response where we can find grace and empathy and kindness, and we can lead with those. So thank you. Now you make it off the elevator. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Laura, same question to you, except your elevator ride is with a legislator.
1: I would do a quick follow-up on the science like Rebecca did because I know that is so important, but I would let them know that their support and their funding is so critical to our schools, our districts, our children. And their attention to their awareness of trauma-sensitive schools is vital it's imperative. Um, They have a responsibility to take care of our kiddos in Arizona schools. And I think Arizona is the perfect state to be a leader in the country with trauma-sensitive schools. I believe that we have the skills, we have the desire, we certainly have the need. We can do it and we need their support.
3: Melanie, you're getting on the elevator with another philanthropic organization representative. What do you say?
2: I'm going to pull a line from Lara and Rebecca, and I'm going to pull on their emotions. Have you ever tried to remember your phone number or your address in the middle of an emergency? You've had a car wreck, cops show up, lights and sirens, it's loud, lot going on. They're like, well, what's your phone number at home or of your spouse so I can give them a call and let them know you're okay? Your brain goes blank your brain goes blank. And when we have kiddos in the classroom who have experienced trauma and are experiencing trauma, maybe we have teachers and staff experiencing trauma as well, it's hard to get your brain online until you're able to learn those skills to help yourself to self-regulate and learn with your teachers and administrators to co-regulate. We need to invest in our schools to support their needs for training, and their needs for teacher and staff wellness.
3: Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Rebecca. And thank you, Laura. For you, the daily results you see from your work are clearly a reward in itself. But this conversation has been tremendously rewarding for our listeners. So many times, educational improvement has eluded well-intentioned efforts. This time, with the insights and results seen thanks to a trauma-sensitive schools approach, as Melanie said, the sky is the limit. Or put another way, the only limiting factors will be lack of understanding, commitment, and funding to pursue trauma-sensitive implementation statewide that can unlock our kids and our teachers and our school's full potential. So, reach into the show notes, click the link, and read the newly released Trauma-Sensitive Schools Report today. Or, if you can't get to the link right now, you can find the report at vitalisthealth.org. The Vitalist Spark will be back next week with our COVID-19 Roundtable. In the meantime, our back catalog of episodes awaits your ears. There's a lot to listen to, including guests from across the state and national experts, too. Visit us on the web at vitalisthealth.org podcast. Check out all of our current and past episodes on Spotify, or simply reach into that podcast app you're using right now and select another show to find out what's going on related to health and well-being in Arizona. That's it for now. The insights, reflections, and takeaways from this dialogue belong at the family dinner table as much as they do in business settings, in city and town halls, and in the domains of healthcare and public health. So please, share this independent episode far and wide. Subscribe to the Vitalist Spark podcast to get notified as soon as new episodes are released. Or listen to the Vitalist Spark just like you listen to your favorite music on Spotify. Give us your feedback wherever you get your podcast, or you can also give us your input the old-fashioned way. Your corrections, complaints, and compliments are all welcomed by emailing us at feedback at vitalisthealth.org. Finally, remember this. With great responsibility comes great power. We'll see you back on the road to well-being soon.